being a part of our service. I'm glad to have you here. And uh, did any of you kind of notice that it was a little bit cooler this week, or at least not so humid? How many enjoyed that? How many didn't enjoy that? Well, that's what's coming this next week, I think. I think we get all the humidity and all that good stickiness back. I tell you, some of us, for a little while there, I thought, man, Lord's going to bless us with an early fall. And I tell you, I love fall time. Fall time's a great time. And uh, if you can, always be a part of the different things. If you can, be a part of the different announcements, different things going on. I appreciate Brother Jeremy and Brother Will uh, doing some of these different things. And uh, many of you know Brother Jeremy, and hopefully you get to know Brother Will here. I appreciate them jumping in and being a help, a blessing to me, and enjoy them uh, being here. I, I did notice something. I don't know if you noticed when Brother Jeremy did the announcements. One of the activities they're gonna, going to do is going bowling and ice cream. And I kept thinking that was pretty good. But you notice it's half-price ice cream. You know when you are a college-age young adult, you are looking for half-price, free this, free that, and all that stuff. That's good. But I've also noticed you come back to that when you have teenagers. Like, I have teenagers. I'm looking for everything half-price, free, and all that to try to help everybody out. So I find that fun. That will be a good time. I know they'll enjoy that. And uh, also, as he mentioned, we're going to have a baptism service uh, in two weeks from this morning on uh, Sunday morning, September the 9th. And we have some that have talked about it and, and want to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. We're excited about that. If you are interested in that or you'd like to know more about baptism, see me. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow the Lord in baptism and, and the different things there. It's a great part of our service there on the 9th. Hope you, if you can, to make plans to be here for that. And like I said, if you have any questions, I'd love to talk to you. About that. Uh, also, this evening, uh, during our evening service, Brother Jeremy is going to be preaching for us. So, if you can come and hear him at six o'clock, and uh, he'll be preaching. And I know he's excited and uh, nervous, so be praying for him. And uh, I don't know why I just thought of that, but every now and then you uh, have funny things you read on church signs. I don't know if you've ever seen some funny things on church signs. There was one church sign in particular that said this, had in quotation marks. It was supposed to be the title of the sermon, and it says, "What is hell?" And you never put two different things on one church sign, by the way. It says, what is hell? And underneath it, it says, come hear our choir at 5 o'clock, okay? <laughs> so, so anyways, I don't know what he's going to preach on tonight. But choir, you are going to practice and everything. So anyhow, I appreciate the choir. All right, before I get in too much trouble, Matthew 25 this morning. Matthew chapter number 25. Uh, I've enjoyed these uh, 13 messages on the parables. The parables of Christ. I've looked back. We've done about 13 of them. In fact, we did two last Sunday, one Sunday morning. Parable of the leaven, then last Sunday evening we did the parable of the mustard seed. And this morning we're going to do one of probably the more popular parables, if you would. It's the parable of the talents. Parable of the talents. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 25. Uh, Anytime I look at Matthew chapter 25, I laugh. Because when I was in college, uh, at Crown College up in Knoxville... Uh, Tennessee, we had to be a part of some sort of ministry. You had to have some sort of ministry opportunity you were involved in. And I knew the Lord eventually one day wanted me to uh, preach in some way, whether it's with young people, adults, whatever it is. And one of the things you could do, you could go to the prison there in Knoxville and you could go to the medium security prison and preach. And I remember doing that, volunteering, said, well, that sounds awesome. Uh, you know, you had to be there at 8.30 in the morning, because so, you had to do that, and you had to be back in time for church. And me and my best friend at the time named Billy Willis, me and Billy both went, and we both were going to preach, because we both were about as nervous as we could be the first time uh, doing that. And I told Billy, uh, I'm going to preach for about 15 minutes. You're going to go first, preach for about 15 minutes, and that's about all the time we have. And so I'm already nervous, because when I went into this particular prison, 
there were just, everything was electronic. There was one center panel, so when you shut a door, you heard, you heard a little lock, and they pressed a button. There were no keys and any of that kind of fun stuff. And I am not a massive person, if you've noticed. Uh, I've learned in my life I'm not going to get any more bigger this way. I'm not going to get deeper. I'm just going to get wider. But anyhow, uh, I'm not a big guy. And so me and Billy went in there, and we went to this one little pod, and they locked the door behind us, and you could see them through the glass, the officers and everything. And we sit down, and Billy and I had not talked at all about what we were going to preach. And so Billy gets up and says, open your Bibles to Matthew 25. And this sudden fear came about me. Because I was going to preach Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, the parable of talents. I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what verses 1 through 13 even said. And I'm thinking, and he goes, by the way, I'm going to do a parable for you today, guys. And I'm like, there ain't no way there's more than one parable. And it's, man, I didn't know a lot. But anyhow, Matthew 13, there's seven parables in one particular chapter. So I'm sitting there. He said, I'm going to begin reading in verse and I'm like, one. I went, oh, good feeling returned. He talked about a different part of the scripture. But when I read this passage, it always makes me realize that no matter what happens in your life, you've got to rely and trust in God. No matter how prepared you are, how uh, maybe mentally ready, maybe how much you are comfortable with things, you've got to always rely on the Lord. But in Matthew chapter number 25, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 14 this parable. It says this, For the kingdom of, God, kingdom of heaven is likened to a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. Father, I pray you might add your blessing and your help today to the reading and teaching of your word. Lord, I pray you might take me as your vessel. Lord, I do ask before you use me, Lord, I ask that you make me usable. Cleanse me of my sin. Lord, cleanse me of myself. Lord, may there be nothing between my soul and you. And Lord, I pray you give me the words this morning that you'd have for me to say. Lord, I have notes. Lord, I have material. But Lord, I don't want to rely on that. I want to rely on you. And Lord, I ask that you might speak through your word, not through me. Lord, be with everyone that's here today. Lord, if there's one person among us that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, today might be the day that you show them how much you love them and their need of a relationship and not just a religion. And Lord, I pray you be with those working with the children. Speak to those people, Lord, through your word, to the hearts of those children. Lord, again, we thank you for all the things you do for us. Lord, thank you for being God. Give us a good morning, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, when you look at the parables of Jesus, and like I said, we've looked at several of them. Some of them are one verse long, two verse long. Some of them are several verses like the one we have this morning. But Jesus in his teaching, I found this interesting. I did a little research. Do you know one-third of everything that came out of Jesus' mouth was a parable? One-third of all his teaching. Of those three and a half years that you have, one-third of all of it was a parable. Uh, as we know, we always say, and I've been saying it each week, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's trying to illustrate a spiritual truth. In this parable we're looking at, in case you're wondering, you say, Brother Phil, we've been in this for like 13 weeks. I remember you talking about a parable uh, way back in the book of Luke, the first or second week we looked at it. And that was the parable of the pounds. That's a very lesser known parable. Uh, that's a parable found over in Luke chapter uh, 19, by the way. 
And, and Jesus talks about a man had ten servants. He gave every man a pound. And that particular parable is dealing with salvation. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with what's been given to you, that grace of God, the gift of God, which is eternal life, and that free gift of salvation? That's what that parable of the pounds is talking about. But here we're looking at the parable of the talents, and this is one that's a little bit different. This one's not talking about salvation for the first couple of guys that we'll see here. This parable's different because this summarizes in the parable of the talents that we're going to see here, we learn something. God has called us as believers. You know the Lord is your Savior. God has called you as a believer to not only do some things, but he's also enabling you to accomplish those things. By the way, you ever feel like God has called you to do something that you cannot do? Well, if you're at that part in life, you're in a great place. Because when you feel like you can do under your own strength everything God's put in your life, prepare to fail. Prepare to have very limited joy, very limited happiness. It says, take heed lest ye fall. And we understand, you say, Brother Phil, I don't have to worry about that. I know God's put more on my plate than I'll ever, ever deal with. You know, we talk about this, and a friend of ours were talking the other day. You know, we like to say sometimes God will never put on us more than we can handle, and that's just not true. God does put a lot more on me than I can handle, but he never puts so much on me that I cannot, through Christ, accomplish what it is. I heard this said, and I thought it was pretty good. Sometimes in life, God puts you where you're facing the Red Sea, and you don't know what you're going to do in life. And you don't know what's going to happen, but can I tell you, for every Red Sea moment you face in your life, God's either going to give you the, the, the tools to build a bridge to cross it, or he's going to bring a boat by to help you get across it. He's going to do one or the other, or he might do the miraculous and just part the waters for you, where all you've got to do is walk. But in your life, you're going to face Red Sea moments. In your life, you're going to face different things. But God not only calls us to do things, but he also enables us to do them. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6, Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6 does not say, Being confident that I will perform it. It says, Being confident that Christ will perform it through me. Until the day of Christ. It also says in the same book, Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse number 13. It says, For it is God that worketh in you both to will, to give you the uh, will to do it, but also to do or the ability of his good pleasure. God does both of those things. And that goes along with what we're going to look at here, is that God has called us to some things, but he's also given us the tools or will enable us to be able to accomplish those things. And the big idea in this parable is this. God has called every believer to two things. And I know I have an outline here for you today, and you can go through it. And there's some things I want us to see. I'm going to try my best to stay with the outline. But you know what? I don't want to be restricted to that. But God's called every person in here that's a believer to two things. He's called you to be a good steward, and he's called you to be a faithful servant. He's called you to be a good steward, and he's called you... To be a faithful servant. As we're looking in this passage here, you definitely look at, if you know the passage, the first two servants were very good stewards, right? And they were faithful. In fact, we're not going to dive into it yet. We'll look at it a little bit later. But as you know, what does it say? The guy with the five talents took the five talents and made five more talents. The guy with two talents took his two and made two more. And whenever he stood before uh, the judge, what did the judge say? He says, what is it in verse number 21? It says that, what did he say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
That's a phrase that we all know pretty good. You've been around church much at all. Uh, you've been to some funerals of believers. We hear that phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant, talked about. But the big idea in this parable is this, is today, right now, the way you're living your life right now as a believer, are you a good steward and, be nice if it said and or, and are you a faithful servant? And just take those words. We're to be good and we're to be faithful. And if I had to describe your life right now as a believer, would you or would I say about you, would you say about yourself that you're good and that you're faithful? Now you say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Problem with that. When it says, well done thou, good and faithful. Good is according not to man's standards. Good is according to God's standards. What do you say? Be holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. Good is not according to my standard. Because what do we say? Overall, and you kind of do this. I'm a pretty good person. Why? Because you're comparing yourself with somebody else. You're comparing yourself with the actions of the day. By the way, you're always going to be able to find somebody that you're doing better than. You're always going to be able to find that. You're not going to always be the worst person. Now, you're going to have moments in life you're going to think, I'm the worst parent in the world. I'm the worst employee in the world. I'm the worst whatever in the world. I understand that. I have those same emotions. But the idea of being good is not being good or better than someone else. The idea when he says, well done, thou good and faithful, the idea of good is the way of living that is according to God's standards, not to mine. And the word faithful means this, you're faithful to the one who's called you. He says in verse 21, well done, thy good and faithful servant. He doesn't say that you are faithful just to your job. He doesn't just say you're faithful in your marriage. He doesn't just say you're faithful in raising your family. He doesn't say you're faithful to church. What he's saying is they were faithful to Christ who called them and enabled them to do everything that they faced. And if I had to describe you in these words, good steward, faithful servant, in your life right now, it was it. Are you good? By God's standard. Are you faithful to God's standard? But there's other words in here that we overlook. He said not just good, but a good what? Good steward. A steward is taking great detail to what's been entrusted to them. Someone that's a steward, someone says, well, you need to be a good steward of your money, right? We always think of that. If you're not a good steward of your money, you're kind of like me. You put money in a bag with holes and it just seems to fly away. You always feel like there's more things than there is money. There's more month than there are bills. And it doesn't, if you're not careful, if you're not a good steward, I tell you a long time ago, I, I'm not necessarily um, crazy about it, but I think it's very good principles in it. Uh, I love Dave Ramsey's thought about financial peace and the whole idea of this is that if you don't give every dollar a name, every dollar will find a place to fly away. It will. If you don't have a place for it, a purpose for it, it's going to go away. And if you're like me, you ever sometimes look at the end of the month and say, I had this much money. What is wrong? We well, say, well, you have children. You know, you have bills, you have life, you have all these things that go on in your life. But I'm not just talking about money. What I'm mainly trying to talk about is this. is steward. Do you take great detail to what's been trusted to you? That's not just talking about your money. Money is such a small thing. What has God entrusted you with today in your life? Maybe you're here. God's entrusted you with a family. A good steward doesn't just take care of. A good steward gives very much appreciation to the fine details of what makes it successful. That makes it last. 
that makes it where things don't just come and go, but something that really, really matters, something that really, really lasts? Are you a good steward of what's been entrusted to you? And not only that, he says, good steward. He also says, a faithful what? Servant. Servant. And by the way, that doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean you're just busy, but you're busy doing what God's called you to. You remember in the book of Luke, chapter number 2, I believe it's verse number 45 through 49, Mary and Joseph, who we're going to really start talking about here in the next few months with Christmas time, you remember Jesus is like probably about 12, 13 years old, if I'm not mistaken, and they take him to Jerusalem, the big city, okay, the big city. They take him to Jerusalem, kind of like you're leaving Milledgeville and you're going to Atlanta, okay? You're going there and they're going to the temple, they're going to worship, and they want to take Jesus with them, and they go, and by the way, I always try to sometimes think, you think a responsibility, I think my responsibility of raising my four kids is big. Imagine the responsibility of raising Jesus, okay? Just throwing that out there, okay? I'm not belittling it, but just kind of think of the responsibility, okay? And being entrusted. So what do they do? They go to Jerusalem. They go to the temple. A bunch of people there, and they're leaving. There's so many people that are traveling back and forth. What does it say in Luke 2? That they assumed he was in the company. They didn't have him with them. They weren't trying to get rid of him. They just assumed he was in their midst. And what happens? After about a day of traveling, they realize, we lost Jesus. Now, you ever want to look at somebody and say, you got one job, right? You, got, you, got, you had one job. Think about Mary and Joseph for a moment. I'm not trying to be too cute or too funny here, but wrap your brain around for a moment. You're the mother, you're the earthly father of Jesus. You know the magnifications of what this is, the magnitude of your responsibility. And not only have you lost him, you've gone a, a day away from him. And they go back and they find him in the temple. But what did Jesus say to them? Did you not know? I must needs be about my father's business. Jesus' words are to be our example of how we should live as a servant. The problem is we don't have the mentality, I must be about my father's business. I will, when it's convenient, be about my father's business. That's our mentality. Yet we call ourselves servants of Christ. We call ourselves disciples of Christ. You know, I think to myself, how many times I do what I want to do, and then I'm like, oh man, I've got to do this for church. Oh, I've got to do this because of my job. Oh, I've got to do this for my family. But you know what he says in Luke 2:49? He looks at Mary, his mother, who he loves, and in much love and respect says, don't you know that the reason I'm here is that I must needs do the work of my father. Can I tell you something, a believer? You don't have to make money. You don't have to provide for your family. You don't have to go to work. You don't have to cut your grass. You don't have to do all these things. You know what you have to do? You have to do what God's called you to do. You know what that means? That means when it's time to cut the grass, cut the grass. That means when it's time to go to work, get up and go to work. That means when it's time to love your family, be faithful to your family, be faithful. The problem is we lose the big goal, which is we have to please God, and we get so stuck on the mundane things of life. That we forget that why are we doing it? Why is it that you go to work that day? Why is it that you uh, take care of your family? Why is it that you try to respond right? Why is it that you do the things that you do? Are you doing it because you're doing it for your father? Because if you don't, you're going to get tired of doing it. And you're not going to continue being a faithful servant. So we see in this passage here, some things about this. And I want us to see, before we really get into uh, the, the outline here, I want us to see verse number 14 and 15. I want us to see there's a man on a journey. 
Verse 14 and 15, it says this, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So I, I stopped there for a second. So it says, the man that travels to a far country. Can I tell you, in every parable Christ gives, there's always two things, always two characters. And, and if there's two characters, there's always in the parable that Jesus gives. There's always God and there's always us. Every parable, there's always God and there's always us. There's at least two characters. So in this passage here where it talks about a man went to a far country, that's talking about God. That man is God. You say, well, Brother Phil, I've... I've read some parables that it talks about Israel. Yes, where God says Israel, he means Israel. But you know what? As believers in the New Testament, we are the spiritual Israel to which he's talking about, so we can still apply it to our lives in that. But we see the man here is representing the parable is God. It's God the Father, if you look at it. It's God. But what I just want to see this morning is some things about this parable of the talents. Number one, I see this here. Follow along in your notes. There's the stewardship principle. The stewardship principle. You say, Brother Phil, you already talked about a steward a little bit. Well, that's where the crux of some different things we're going to be at today. And this morning as we go through this passage, I'm going to occasionally throw out, hey, this is a principle. Hey, this is a principle. And there's things as stewards, if we're going to be a good steward, we should do. We see a stewardship principle. Look at verse number 15. It says, And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. And every man, according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Verse 16 says, Then he that had the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Can I tell you about the stewardship principle? The first, part, first principle I want you to understand is this. What we have is not ours. What we have is not ours. We are only stewards. What you have in your life, everything that you have in your life, is not yours. You are a steward. God has blessed me, as I said, with four children. Some days you feel like they're more of a blessing than others. If you're like me, you think those things. And let me tell you, a lot of days I'm a blessing to be a dad. And a lot of days to them I'm not much of a blessing, just to be honest. But one thing about the stewardship principles we need to see is that everything I have in my life is not mine. God has only given it to me for a little while. You know, the more I think about it, the more sad it is. I don't really mind getting older. That doesn't bother me. I turned 40 back in June. That doesn't really bother me. The only thing that bothers me about getting older is the realization that my time that I have with my children living at home with me is getting shorter and shorter. And I understand that. In fact, I've already told them that you can flunk, drop out, you can live with us forever, and you can do that. And then there's other days you're like, Lord, uh, come quickly. You know, it's kind of days. I understand. You're like, Brother Phil, I don't have it. I have the even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I, I understand that mentality. But i got to understand something. Maggie, Noah, Grayson, and Chloe are not mine. They're not mine. God has placed me as a steward to help them live their lives in these formidable years. And hopefully, later... Hopefully, if I've done what's right in these, this time here, hopefully they'll still allow me to influence them later. But God has made me the steward of their lives to make them and shove them towards who God is and what God wants for their life. See, the problem in our lives as parents is this. That's my child. Someone does something to your child. That's my child. I ain't saying you don't defend them. I ain't saying you don't take up for them. 
But the sooner you get in your mind and head that they're not yours, they're not a possession of yours, they're actually something that God's lent you, which is awesome and wonderful. If you think about it, the better parent you'll be when you realize they really belong to God and they don't belong to you. But also, it's not just a privilege. I all of a sudden feel a responsibility. How good of a job am I doing as a steward preparing my children not to face a world on their own, but how well am I raising my children to have a relationship with God so when they're on their own, they already have a relationship with God, not just somebody they've heard about, memorized about, and said verses about. I think the problem is this. We train our children. Now, a good Christian does this, and a good Christian does this, and a good Christian goes to church, and a good Christian reads his Bible, a good Christian prays, a good Christian dresses like this, a good Christian don't talk like that, a good Christian does this, and we tell them all these good, 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 good things you're supposed to do, which there's nothing wrong with them. But we never teach them how to love God. We never teach them how to have a relationship with God. We never show them our faith in God. We just tell them about how to do it. What do they say? Those who cannot play coach. Okay, I've coached a lot of years. That probably tells you something, okay? You know why? Because it's a lot easier to say what to do than to physically do it. And if you ever coached a ball team and you're like, man, I've told you what to do. I've even kind of shown you what to do. And you failed me. It's a lot harder to do it it's a lot easier to coach and tell them what to do. And here's the problem, parents, that I'm finding out with. By the way, we just spent some great time Friday evening and Saturday morning about not how to raise godly children, but how to be a godly parent. And there is a significant difference, by the way. A lot of us want godly children, but we don't want to be a godly parent. There's a difference. If I'm a godly parent, God will take care of my children. Period. But we do do this, do this, do this. And when our kids get old enough and they get independent, they got to decide, do I want to stay with the same rules that my parents passed down? And they have no idea to have a relationship and talk to Christ about the things they're facing, things they're being tempted with, and things they're being tested with. How prepared are your children to face life based solely on your spiritual preparation? I think the problem is we prepare them in education. We prepare them how to do a job. We prepare them how to do different things. But we don't prepare them how to deal with the spiritual warfare that we've been entrusted in, that we know that they're going to face. I tell you, it's a sad thing if my kid can ace every test and my kid can get a job, but my kid don't know how to pray and my kid don't know how to read the Bible and my kid don't know how to, when he or she faces something in their life, get on their knees and get a hold of a God that we supposedly have told them about that loves them and hears them and wants to show them because they haven't seen it in my life, they just heard about it. That's the problem. Once again, I know that's not an amen. That's more of an ouch. I understand that. But you think about it. By the way, if you're an absentee parent, you need to understand something. If you're a parent that's not real active spiritually in your life, you need to understand something. A parent that considers their Christian life a convenience, don't be surprised when your child looks at Christ as unnecessary. If you only practice your faith in God when it's convenient, in front of your kids, don't be surprised. Well, my kids don't go to church anymore. My kids don't seem to care at all about God anymore. It's probably because they watched. I'm just being honest. Say, Brother Phil, you're talking like you're a great parent. Nope, jury's still out on mine. I'm going to reap what I'm sowing. And if I'm going to reap what I'm sowing, I'm going to start sowing a little bit better than just do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. Now, don't get me wrong. Because some of you might be a little aggravated at me saying, well, you said my kid's gone away, I didn't be a good parent. No, everybody, in, everybody that walks to face this earth has a free will. Everybody that walks to face this earth chooses for themselves if they're going to obey God or not obey God. They have that choice. 
But it's a lot better situation you put them in when we do what we're supposed to do to begin with. And being what? Not just a steward of them, but a faithful steward. You say, Brother Phil, you talked a long time about that. Well, here's why. I am very convicted of how horrible of a parent I am. Oh, you provide for your kids. That's not what I said. How much of a godly parent I am. I am very, very, very convicted. Because I'll be honest with you. Confession, good for the soul, mighty heart, reputation. I feel like a lot of times I'm a better pastor than I am a godly parent. I'm a better preacher than I am a godly parent. I feel that way a lot. You know why? I got to do this. I feel my feet to the fire here because Sunday's always coming. Sunday night's always coming. Wednesday night's always coming. And I want you to keep smiling at me. You know, I kind of want that stuff to kind of keep going. And I sometimes look at my children and think, oh, I got time. I got time. That's right. You got time that you'll never get back. You'll never get back. And we could give testimony of you that have had children that have raised up and you've raised them in the ways of God and they may have went towards God and they may have not went towards God. But I guarantee if we could pass a microphone around today, many of you would say, hey, do this with your child. Love God. Show God to your child. Show Christ to your child where they can understand. Hey, the principle of what I have is not mine. That means my job. I love my job. I love my ministry. But can I tell you something? What I'm doing this morning is not the only part to my job. You know, parts of my job involve, you know, doing this soccer program. You know, I enjoy doing that. Right now, this is what I call crazy week in my life. Crazy week in my life is when we start doing soccer teams and putting all the kids on teams and and putting practices together and getting T-shirt orders. And, you know, we're just ordering like, I think, 330 T-shirts and making sure everybody's got the right size, the right color, everything comes in on time. And trying to make sure everybody's got to practice is happy about the night they practice. Because if they're not happy about the night they practice, they are going to let me know that they're not happy about that. And then moving people and all that fun stuff. We also, like everybody else, you start school. This is crazy week for me. And then me and Rachel thought that was boring enough, so we moved into a different house just to top things off. You know, just to make it better. But none of this is mine. None of it. But God says, hey, I'm giving you this. Think about this. Listen to what I'm saying. God is saying, I'm trusting you with this, that I know you can do what I desire to be done. When I look at my children sometimes at night and I look at my responsibility as a pastor, I just sometimes go, ain't no way, God. <laughs> I can't do this. I look at you know, your job. You may look at your job and say, God, there ain't no way I can do my job. I look at, you look at your marriage. God, there's no way I can do this right. Remember, for what God calls you to, he equips you for. What he calls you to do, he will equip you for to accomplish it. And God, just as much as a still small voice looks at you and says, when you look at those children, you look at that marriage, you look at that job, you look at that ministry, you look at that responsibility, God's in your ear saying, I trust you that you can do what I want done if you trust me. I trust you that you can do what I want. If you'll just trust me and obey me. And I tell you, that's pretty flooring to really think about. It's flooring to really think about the idea. I, I joke with my kids sometimes, and I, maybe I've shared this before. Every now and then I, I do stuff that's a little corny. I know you can imagine that. I have a little bit of a dry personality. Every now and then I do things that they don't like. And they start laughing. They're like, Dad, Dad, come on, Dad. They go with me through a drive-thru. And I'll talk in whatever voice I can come up with. 
I'll do all kinds of funny things. I'll ask questions. I'll do weird things. And they're like, Dad, Dad, you're killing Like that. And I always look at them. When I know I got them at the point that they are just about as uncomfortable as they can be, and I look at them and I tell them this wonderful thing. Child, did you know that of all the fathers, that throughout all the world, God, when he allowed you to come into this world, knew of all the fathers in the world, of his will, what he wanted you to be in your life, he chose me to help make that happen. Now, once again, I don't know if I'm doing a right representation of God there, but anyhow, I thought it was pretty funny. But the things that you face in your life, hey, what about your, your friendships? Are you a good steward of your friendships? I tell you, I've been a lousy friend sometimes. Just being honest, I've been a lousy friend. There's been times I'm so consumed with what's going on, then God's like, okay, now this person needs you. Well, I maybe not know they're in need. Maybe God has slayed your heart. Why don't you shoot them a text? Hey, why don't you call them? Why don't you see what's going on in their life? Hey, there might not be anything wrong that I can see, but just that little call, that little text, I can't tell you how many times everything's been great and I've been smiling from ear to ear, but someone sends me some encouragement. Or someone says, hey, what's going on in your life? And you know what it does? It encourages me because they're being a good steward. That means this, they're not just consumed with their life. You're not multiplying your talent in the area of friendships that God gives you, if the only thing you worry about in your life is your life, your wife, your job, and your, what's going on in your life, you're not being a good steward of your friendships. You ever sometimes think, man, I ain't got any friends. A man that has friends must what? Show himself friendly. But the problem is, that's a continual process, not a one-time event. We confuse that. Well, I showed them friends. Why do they, they know I'm their friend. But reach out to them. Love on them. Let them know that you care. The principle, stewardship principle, what we have is not ours, is part of that principle. But also part of that principle is this. It's our job to be faithful. It's our job to be faithful in what he's called us to. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2 is a really short verse, but a really convicting verse. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards, there's that word again, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Being found faithful means you already have been it. Like, if you play hide-and-seek, and I love playing hide-and-seek. I don't know how many of you like playing hide-and-seek at night. I love playing hide-and-seek. If they find you, you're already in a place. Let me ask you a question. Are you in a place of faithfulness to God? Oh, I want to be more faithful. Then get out of your wants and get into where you need to be. A lot of Christians die and live almost their life. Man, I wish I was more faithful. I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to be the right kind of spouse. And they never reach the place of where that is. Moreover, it says it is required in stewards. You know what I have underlined in my Bible in 1 Corinthians 4 2? The simple word. We underline the word what? Stewards and faithful, don't we? Simple word. Moreover, it is required. That means to be the right kind of steward, it is required that I'm faithful. That leads me back to my question earlier. When God looks at you, does he look at you and say, you are a good and faithful steward of what he's put in your life. Everything he's put in your life. Are you faithful? If you're like me, you're like, Phil, of course not. Of course I'm not good. Of course I'm not as faithful as I can be. Then what are you going to do about it? Well, I just don't have motivation. Great, at least a point number two. Point one is stewardship principle. I'm just not motivated to be the good and faithful steward. Good. Number two is this. A day of accountability is coming. Point number two, a day of accountability is coming. 
He Remember, he says, all right, I'm going to give you five talents. I'm going to give you two talents. I'm going to give you one talent. The guy with uh, five talents, it says he goes and he works and he takes these five talents and he turns them into ten. The guy with two, he works and he does it and turns them into four. And the guy with one takes it, hides it in the earth. And you say, well, why would they do that? What's their motivation for doing that? Verse number 19 is why. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. There's something that you and I have to understand. Why do I need to be a good steward in my marriage, my family, my job, my ministry, my friendships, with everything that I have in my life? And why do I need to have the mentality that it's not mine, it's God's, he's just giving me a steward and give careful detail? Why should I care? Because one day, every last person that's sitting in this room is going to give an account to God for how you lived your life as a believer. And we're not going to go into it. There's lots of places you can see over in Corinthians about that. I'm not talking here to people that are lost. but I'm talking to people, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's going to come a day, as it mentions in verse number 19, that the man who it reads about that went to the far country, who is God, God's going to call us to him, whether it's through death or through it's through the rapture. As I like to say, I'm looking for the uppertaker, not the undertaker. I understand that. But there's going to be a day I'm going to give an account of what I've done with my talents for him. It's going to come a day. Now the problem is, I lose motivation. You know why? Because I forget the day's coming. I forget the day's coming. Why? Because I just want to win the moment. I just want to get out and survive at this moment so I can jump into the next frying pan and jump into the next and just live in this joy and live in that. And I don't live with the idea of that. I want to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder, do you have a life verse? Do you have a verse that's kind of like the verse you go to? A lot of people do. My life verse is Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because I'm a simple guy. I'm from Tennessee. You understand that. I talk slower. I talk with a slang, all that good stuff. Okay, I understand your patience. But I need to understand that that means this. Philippians 1.21 means this. For me to live means I should equal Christ. And I tell you, it can't get much simpler than that, but yet more daunting. But it says this, but to die is gain. That means this. As a believer, if I live like Christ, death doesn't worry me. Because I'm going to stand for the Lord. And I know I'm not perfect, but I can stand for the Lord saying, Lord, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I did what you called me to do. I try to rest in your grace and your power, and I try to be a good steward of what you've given me, and I can stand for the Lord, not feeling shameful for not doing more for him. Now, don't get me wrong. If you know the Lord is your Savior and you don't live for him, doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It says that your calling and election is sure, that you are saved into the uttermost. You're sealed into the day of redemption. But I think myself, a lot of times, myself, I wonder how I'm going to stand before God by the way I've lived my life as a believer. You ever went empty-handed to a birthday party? Yes. Okay, we all have. That's why we dig for 20 bucks out of our pocket or 10 bucks out of our pocket or whatever we do. And you kind of feel like, oh, I didn't come prepared. You're still welcome to the party. But you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Can you imagine for a moment as believers, we just live this life. We take God when we want to. We do what we want most of the time. We live a convenient Christian life. You ever just sometimes stop just for a second, okay? And I just want you to think about this. 
There's going to be a day, a moment, that you individually, not Emmanuel Baptist Church as a whole, but you individually are going to stand before the God that created everything. And you're not going to have your husband, your wife, your church family, your pastor. You're not going to have any. You're going to stand by yourself. And you're going to look at the one that created everything. You're going to look at the one that you've asked to save you. You have your salvation in. So you're saved. You're a believer. But you're going to stand there. And before you enter into heaven, you're going to stand there. And you're going to have to give account of what you did for him. Not for yourself. But how well you took care of the talents and used the talents that he gave you. And to me, that's a humbling thought that I don't want to think about. I don't know if too many people are like, I love the idea of standing before God. Because I know how short my, or my failures, my shortcomings are. Have you ever thought about it? You're going to stand before God. If I live in the light, then I'm going to stand before God and give account for my life. It would change the way I live. I can't talk for you, but I can talk for me. It would change the way I live. It would also change my thinking if I agreed that I don't know when that day is. What is today? What is 80 years from now? I'm pulling for 80 years from now, just to be honest with you. I told you I won't be the old person in the rocking chair complaining about the music being too loud. I won't won't do all that stuff. I really do. But you know what? No matter when it comes, it's coming. But here's the great thing about the grace of God that we don't understand. That doesn't have to be a fear. Why do we live like the day we stand before God has to be a day that we're scared out of our minds about? The first servant, when he stood before God, what did he stood before the man? What did he say? Hey, you gave me five. Here's five more. What about the other guy with two? He says, yeah, you gave me two. Here's two more. I don't see them. I don't picture them going, here's what I got. That's what I did. I see them, not proudfully, but standing there saying, this is what you gave me. Hey, this is what I've done. Hey, thank you for entrusting me with these five. Thank you for entrusting me with these two. I don't see fear in their life. I see joy. He's coming. Great. Let's see him. I want him to see. I want to give this to him. You ready to see Jesus? You ready to look and see the holes in his hands? And realize it's that your sin and my sin that's put the holes there. But you care more about watching football. You care more about your job. You care more about every other thing in your life. And I'll just stop there because there's a thousand things we could say. That you stand there and be like, I don't really have anything. Yeah, you gave me a whole lot. But I ain't got anything to give you. Meeting Christ does not have to be a fearful thing. It can be a joyful thought. But that... It's based upon me. It's not based on him. So we see the idea of that day of reckoning, that day of coming. I quoted this last Sunday night, and I thought it was a great quote. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Say, what do you mean? If I asked you, what do you think of God, describe God to me. Some people would say, holy. So if you think God is holy, what's that going to do? It's probably going to lead you to be a little more holy. 
Some of you may say wrath because of fear in your life that God's just going to get you if you don't do right. And by the way, that's not the place to live either. Some of you may say non-existent because I got all this going on in my life and I can't hear him, I can't see him, I can't feel him. But can I tell you, however it is you feel about God, that's the most important thing in your life right now because that determines on how you live. Some people look at God as just a man upstairs, a man, old grandfather man sitting on a rocking chair. You have that mentality of God, you'll do anything you want in life because grandparents love everybody. But how do you view God? What is your thought of God in that? But I see these other two servants, and I see them very excited to meet him, which leads me to point number three, the reward for being faithful. The reward for being a faithful servant. Now, as I said, you, the guy that got five, he took his five, made five more. The guy that took two, took two more. And we see the reward of those five. We say, what about the one? I ain't worried about the one right now. He's got a total different problem. The one in five and two, we see something real great here in verse 21 through 23. It says, his Lord said unto him, the one that did five, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Verse 22, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou hast deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. Verse 23, he said, the Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So what's the reward of the two faithful servants? Three simple things. Affirmation, promotion, and celebration. What do you mean? They got reward of affirmation, promotion, and celebration. Affirmation is this. The verse says what? Well done, good, and faithful servant. That's the affirmation. I know some people like this, don't like this necessarily, but I know in dealing with couples, especially when they're getting married and different things, I always encourage them to read about the book about the five love languages. That everybody in this room has a love language in particular. What that means is this. It's not the way you give love. It's how you receive love. It's how you, not how you give love. You may give love a totally different way and you receive it. And there's, there's five ways. There's probably thousands of ways. But one of them is words of affirmation. One of them is physical touch. Uh, one of them is acts of kindness. Uh, those kind of things. And I'm forgetting the other two at the moment. I'm trying to remember. Quality time. Thank you. That's probably why it's not mine. Quality time. And uh, there's another one in there, acts of, acts of service. Was it? Gifts. gifts. Yeah, that, that gifts. Yeah, so you got gifts, um, quality time, acts of service, physical touch, and words of affirmation. By Will telling me those, you probably got a good idea, which is probably not mine, okay? All right? Now, once again, that is not how you give love. That's how you receive it. A lot of times it does go that way. But it's how you receive it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go ahead and tell on myself, okay? And I don't really like doing this. You want to know what my spirit, not spiritual gift. You know what my, it's not spiritual gift. You want to know what my love language is? It is not gifts. It's not physical touch. Y'all like, Brother Phil, we know it ain't physical touch. We see you and you shake hands and we're a hugging church. And I am working on all that, okay? Don't mean I don't love you. I know I do that awkward. <laughs> okay, you know, we're working on that, okay? Some of y'all are really making me bring that out. Acts of service really isn't mine either. People doing stuff for me. Gifts. 
Not really. Because in my mind, I keep thinking, who paid for it? Okay. <laughs> Quality time. I'll be honest with you, I am living in my life right now. If you're like me, I am putting out one fire to go to the next fire, to go to the next fire, to go to the next fire. So the idea of sitting in quality time, to me, is like, not waste of time, but it's like, are we good? Let's go. Words of affirmation is mine. Probably shouldn't have told you that. You know my biggest battle I have to face in my life as a pastor, as a parent, as a friend, as a husband? not needing to live or not needing to keep going by people approving of what I do. We'll get through telling myself, okay? We did this little streaming event with a parenting thing Friday and Saturday. The first thing I did when I walked out, I said, I wonder if anybody liked that. And God gives you gifts in your life. I have my wife, and she's a wonderful gift to me. She goes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it does, because if nobody enjoyed it, then I feel like a failure. Did God, did God want you to do that? Did God want you to provide that material? Yes. Then that should be enough. Should. But that's my problem. I'm going to get through the sermon. Y'all don't have to line up today and go, you did good, Brother Phil. You did good. You did good. Okay? Don't do that to me today. Come look at you and go, yeah, shut up. Okay, I'm going to say thanks a lot. Now, don't avoid me just because well, I'm going to help you spiritually. I ain't going to tell you jack. Okay? Don't do that either. That's the way I receive love. Every one of us is wired differently. Some people are physical touch. Some people are gifts. Gifts mean, yes, acts of service means that. Quality time means that. I know Rachel's. I'm not going to say it out loud because I enjoy everything in life. So, you know, I'm not going to say that. But you know what? We don't have the same. And sometimes I don't understand that. But can I tell you something? There is no greater words of affirmation that can ever be given to you in your life than to have verse number 21 when you do stand before that God that we talked about. And the way you lived your life as a believer, you didn't live it for yourself, you lived it for Him. There's no greater words of affirmation than for Him to look at you, smile, and the one that did everything for you and gave you everything in your life looked at you and says, Well done. Good job. Can I tell you something? I want that. But I don't want it because I need it. I want it because he deserves it. When we live to the idea that he deserves it instead of I want it, we'll live a different Christian life. A lot of us want to hear it, but we want to hear it because of everything I've done. I've just got to hear that because of everything I've done. You're not going to hear it. You're not. I don't care how faithful you think you are. You ain't going to hear it. But when you live your life like, I want to hear it because you deserve it, you'll hear it. Affirmation. But there's also promotion. Anybody likes getting a promotion at work, you say, actually, no, I don't want the more work. I want more money. I just don't want the other part. Well, here's a great promotion. You don't get more work. You get more money, so to speak, with it, okay? Look at the promotion, verse 21. You have been faithful over a few. I'll make you ruler over many. 
He says, I know everything that I gave you in this life, and it may have seemed overwhelming. It may have seemed too much. But everything that I entrusted you with that you did well at, I'm about to make you over something that makes that look like small potatoes. I'm about to give you a promotion that is something that is so awesome you've never, ever imagined how great it's going to be. Sometimes I don't really think we really realize how awesome heaven's going to be in eternity. I don't think we really sometimes wrap our brain around because a lot of times we live like heaven is right here. But that promotion. But I also see the reward of celebration. Okay, so you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, thanks for the affirmation. You hear, all right, uh, you have been faithful over a few. I'll make you rule over many. Thanks for the promotion. And he says, now it's time to celebrate. He says, enter into the joy of our Lord. I can't tell you how much one day I'm looking forward to entering not into my joy that I have here on earth, but entering into the joy of Christ, living forever in the joy and the glory of Christ. And the celebration that has to be. You ever sometimes get something done, you work so hard, maybe it's a party, maybe different things you did, a birthday or whatever it is, and you get through it and all of it, and finally you go, now I can relax. That's what I picture that. It's okay. It's all done. That's what I vision as. But you know something? We do look at the reward for being a faithful servant. But I think it would behoove us in closing to look at the other servant. Two servants that were faithful. Five turned to more. Five more. Uh, the one with two turned two more. But as I mentioned earlier, you might be here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you do, there's somebody we need to look at for a moment. In the verse that we talked about, it says, The one that received one took and hid it in the earth. If you look in verse 26, excuse me, verse 25, it says this. Oh, I'm sorry, back up 24, I apologize. Verse 24, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there that thou hast is thine. He looks and says, here. I was scared. I never really did anything with it. Here. It's yours. Now, there's great debate in this passage that this person was a believer of not. I think you get to the end of the passage and you realize he wasn't. But can I tell you something? Just as he gave one guy five and another guy two, God, I believe those are the believers in this parable, God gives some people different talents. He's, everyone in this room has a talent. You say, I have no idea what my talent is. That's all right. God's given you one. But God gives some people more talents than others and different from others. But by the way, don't forget about the passage of Scripture. I believe it's Luke that says, To whom much is given, much is required. So before you really wish you had more talents and abilities, and God should have blessed you with more, there's more responsibility. Okay, But I firmly believe this last talent that was given to this guy is a symbol of the same parable we study of the pounds. This guy had an opportunity. What will he do with Christ and what did he do with it? He hid it and he buried it. Well, he was a believer. No, he wasn't a believer because you get to the end of the passage. Verse number 30, it says he was cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
Well, that means then, Brother Phil, and I have a lot of really good friends that say, that, this passage right here is where you get that you can lose your salvation. I say, you just got like a thousand other verses that contradict that, and he's not the author of confusion. But here's what I think. I think there's going to be people stand before the Lord that have been faithful, and there's going to be people stand before the Lord that haven't been faithful. All, both believers. But I also think there's going to be people that are going to stand before the Lord thinking that he's their Lord, and he ain't. There's going to be people that stand before the Lord have a religion, don't have a relationship. There's going to be people stand for the Lord that were really great choir members, Sunday school teachers, ushers, deacons, and all that kind of thing, but they never had a relationship with Christ. They're really good church members, really good mommies, really good daddies, but what did they do with what God gave them, the gift, the talent, so to speak, of salvation? They took it, hid it, and buried it, and did nothing with it, and went on their way. And what does he say here? He says, thou wicked and slothful servant. Kind of reminds me of another passage. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name done many marvelous works and cast out devils and demons? Have we not done all those things? And I will look at them and say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Can I tell you something? It talks about that guy being lazy. It talks about that guy being fearful. All those different things. I understand that. But can I tell you something today? It doesn't matter what you do with the talent God's put in your life. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. Say, so, Brother Phil, you keep talking about salvation. The reason I keep talking about salvation because the rest of the stuff doesn't matter if you don't know the Lord as your Savior. Your baptism, your church membership, your talent, it doesn't matter if you don't know the Lord. And I tell you this, and, and I love... I love our church. I love people. I love those things. But can I tell you something? If you have the mentality in your mind that I hope I'm going to heaven, you probably ain't. Because that means you're probably hoping in something other than Christ. The Bible says to make your calling and your election sure. That you may know, 1 John chapter 5, that you have eternal life. That you may know. I don't have to live a hope so life. I have a great hope. Don't get me wrong. But I don't have to live a hope so life because my hope is what? Built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where my hope is. Hopefully that's where your hope is. That if your faith is not in the Lord Jesus Christ, if your faith is in anything else, even the talent God's given you that you might be doing good things with and godly things with, can I tell you something? You're going to stand before him. You're going to say you're a worker of iniquity. On a side note, did you notice verse 21 and 23? The guy with five talents that made five more, what, G, what, what the owner said to him was the exact same thing that he said to the guy that had two. Sometimes we think, well, they're going to get more reward than I'm going to get. Look at all their, well, how great is their reward. Hmm. He said the exact same thing to the guy that had five talents that he did to the guy with two, that both did what they should. You know what that means? God's not a respecter of persons. Not a respecter of persons. I am. You are. But he's not. But you can leave here thinking today you want to be a better Christian. But can I tell you to you, you can never be the Christian you've not become. You've got to become a Christian. Is there a time in your life right now, and I know I'm looking at many people that know me and have heard me speak and heard me say this before, but I am deadly, deadly afraid of this. I feel like one day I'm going to watch some of you stand before a holy God and you came to church, 
and you did different things, but you never had a relationship with him. You just had a knowledge of him, and you never put your faith and trust in Christ. You put it in anything else. And I'm scared I'm going to have to watch you, and I'm going to cry my eyes out because it talks about in the book of Revelation, there are tears in heaven, but he shall wipe them away. And I'm going to watch you be cast into hell forever. And you say, Phil, that's a horrible thing to say. I'm not trying to be, scare you with anything. I'm just trying to get you to understand, do you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know for sure if today's the day you met the judge, you wouldn't have to worry about him with your soul. You could just think about what you've done for him. Do you know you're saved? And here's the thing. If you do... What are you doing for those family members, those loved ones, those friends, those people you know and don't know that you walk by and you're like, I know they're not saved. What are you doing to help bring them to Christ? You can't save them. You ever say, Phil, some people, <laughs> they can't be saved. That's right. No one can be saved. God's the only one that can do it. That one that you think you got hope of reaching, can I tell you, God may help you to reach them, but to bring them to Christ. But can I tell you, the best way to bring them to Christ is to live a life of Christ in front of them. That's the best way. And that's a lot of fingers pointing back this way. But you know what's funny? This guy hit it. Don't be a, a Christian that's counterfeit. Don't be somebody that calls himself a Christian and you're not. You know the difference between a believer and a non-believer? Christ. You say, wait a minute. No, no, it's the way they live. No. The difference between a believer and a non-believer is one simple thing. Jesus Christ is in that one person and he's not in the other. That's as simple as it can be. But I encourage you today as you read this passage and we see the blessing on the faithful gifts and doing stuff with it and we see the one here. I encourage you, if you don't know the Lord today, if I could beg you, I would beg you. Don't wait for the man of the house, as it says in his parable, to come back. To all of a sudden say, oh, I think I want to get right with God now. Oh, I'm not saved. I want to get saved now because it's going to be too late to get saved then. But you're here, you're a believer, and you're just kind of doing this Christian life the, kind of as much as you want to do. Can I tell you something? It's too late when he comes back because if you notice something there, he didn't announce he was coming. He just returned. And what I'm trying to get you to understand today is this. You don't have to fear meeting as a lost person, you can put your faith in Christ and you can look forward to meeting him. But as a believer in the way you live your life or not living, you don't have to live fearing meeting God. The choice is up to you. Let's pray and let's stand together if you would. Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank you for the time we can be.